This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word, and I pray that today, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, you would enliven this word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The two stories Jesus tells in our gospel reading this morning, while no doubt familiar to many of us, may also seem just a little bit odd. The extensive searching for a sheep and a coin and the great partying that followed seems, well, it seems a bit excessive, somehow out of proportion to the loss. After all, at least the shepherds still had 99 sheep. Sheep do wander off. What's the big deal about losing just one? And the woman, at least she still has nine coins. Why all the fuss? The lost one will likely turn up eventually anyway. And furthermore, she probably spent more on the party to celebrate finding the coin than it was worth in the first place. What kind of sense does that make? Well, if these were merely utilitarian stories concerning monetary value, then of course they would make little sense. But clearly that is not what these stories are about. To understand what Jesus was doing here, it's worth considering first for whose benefit Jesus told these parables. The context is that all kinds of unsuitable, undesirable, irreligious people were flocking to Jesus, and the Pharisees were not happy about it. And to add insult to injury, Jesus not only didn't shoo these undesirable types away, he had dinner with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying about Jesus, this fellow, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it was that comment that prompted Jesus to tell three short stories. We had two of them this morning. In the first story about the lost sheep, God the Son is like a good shepherd who seeks out a lost sheep. And so important is the one that has wandered off that the good shepherd leaves behind the 99 in search of the one. And when that one that was lost is found, he throws a big party to celebrate the homecoming. And in the second story about the lost coin, the woman lights a lamp so that she can see what she's doing and she sweeps the house in search of the coin that was lost. And this, in a sense, illustrates how God the Holy Spirit shines the light of his truth into dark places in our world where people are lost in order that they may be found. And in this story, when the coin is found, the woman, like the shepherd, calls her friends and neighbors and asks them to rejoice with her. And in the third story about the prodigal son, which we didn't read this morning, but which comes right after these two and completes the trilogy, we have a picture of God the Father waiting patiently, longingly, lovingly for his lost boy to come home. And when he finally does, the father rushes out to greet him, welcomes him with open arms, and throws a big party. 
The common thread in each of these parables is the great rejoicing that occurs when that which was lost is found. And that, presumably, is exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes could not, for the life of them, understand. It wasn't the rejoicing over a dumb sheep or a poor woman's coin and a disrespectful son in the stories that made them mad. It was what lay behind those stories. I have no doubt that they knew exactly what Jesus was illustrating. They weren't stupid, far from it. Between them, they represented the smartest, most religious, most upright people in Jerusalem. Jesus had the audacity to welcome people that they didn't, tax collectors and sinners. And then, to celebrate what a good thing that was, he has the nerve to tell them these stories. You see, they were concerned about three things, three important things, and they are important. They were concerned about behaving, believing, and belonging. And in that order, if the people behaved right, keeping all the right laws, offering all the right sacrifices, then and only if they also believed all the right things, and the scribes pretty much had a monopoly on what all of those right things were, then and only then could people finally belong. But the good news and frankly, the scandal of the gospel is that Jesus turns that on its head. Sure, he'd be happy to teach about the three Bs, only it seems he does so in the reverse order. Jesus was happy for people first to come and see, to come and experience a sense of welcome, hospitality, and belonging. He had dinner with tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with prostitutes and criminals. He invited inquisitive, would-be disciples, not those who got it all figured out, to come and see. Then, as people found a welcome in Jesus' presence, he taught them. He taught them and helped them to come to know about God and his love and forgiveness. He taught people what to believe. He called people to repent. He taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And then, thirdly, as people's lives were transformed by the love and the power and the grace of God, so too their behavior was transformed and conformed to those beliefs. I think what our gospel reading today illustrates so powerfully is that the lost are God's priority. God loves all whom he has made, and he seeks them out wherever they are. Shocking though it was for the Pharisees to see, Jesus actually cared about the Pharisees and the sinners. And we know from elsewhere, the Bible tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus here tells us that there is great rejoicing in heaven over even one sinner who repents. And so the sinners, the tax collectors, the lost, all those who are far away from God 
matter to him. I wonder, how do you feel about those who are lost today? What is your attitude towards those who maybe have drifted away or those who would never dream of of darkening our doors on a Sunday morning or at any time? Do your hearts go out to such folk? Do you see them as people who are lost and who need to be found? You see, I, I wonder, I suspect that before we will really search for something, we actually have to feel the pain of having lost something. In our throwaway society, we're probably not used to searching for a dime if we still have 10 bucks. And I think sometimes we may think of the lost as being those who are, you know, out there and other and different. And yet it's possible to be right here in church this morning and feel lost. And so if you are feeling lost this morning, I hope and I pray that you will not walk out of these doors without knowing that you can be found and that God himself is looking for you. Not with an accusing finger, but with open arms of love, longing for you to come home. God's heart is for the lost. He longs for each lost person to be found. He he longs for each one to repent, to be forgiven and restored. And so if today you are lost, turn to the one who is looking for you, to Jesus who alone can save. And if you've already done that, as I know many of you have, what about those around you who are still lost? Would you ask God to impress upon your heart his care for the lost, that you may do all in your power to reach out with his saving love? You know, I think it's possible to think of those who are in in trouble or who, who are far from God as if their situation is kind of their own fault. You know, after all, we all we all have choices in life. And if people make foolish choices, then that's their business. Why should I be concerned? And so instead of grieving for them, we may be tempted to ignore them or worse, judge them or worse, think of ourselves as better than them. Wasn't that the way in which the Pharisees and the scribes were behaving in Jesus' day? One of the most extraordinary and to some the most scandal aspects of the gospel is that God actually likes sinners. He even seeks them out. Cheats, liars, prostitutes, adulterers, terrorists, the proud, the greedy, those who practice sex outside of marriage, the promiscuous, gossips, the selfish, all these are loved by God. And all these are invited to belong. To, to come to know and experience God's love and be transformed by him. You see, God always sees beyond what an individual does or says to the person underneath, the person made in his own image, the unique and precious, precious person whom he loves. God cares about the lost.
If you, if you think I'm repeating myself, I am. I want you to hear that message. And we too must care about those who don't know God, those who have drifted away, those who are lost. Now, there are, of course, many different ways to become lost. Most people don't become lost by willfully kicking over the traces and ending up on the streets. Sometimes people just live in permanent denial. They, they are lost, but they won't face up to that. They're too busy to face up to that. Sheep actually provide us with a pretty good illustration of how many people get themselves lost. Sheep don't set out to be dumb and stupid. They just wander off following their own appetites. And I think this is the condition that many people end up in also. They don't set out to be particularly wicked or selfish. They just pursue things, maybe good things, like their work or their families or going about their business except that they just become so wrapped up in it, so absorbed by it all, that little by little, time for God gets squeezed out. And how easy it can be for any of us to be in that situation. You know, we live at a time and in a culture that seems to pride itself on deconstructionism. So institutions, political parties, ideologies, even truth itself is deconstructed. It's not taken any of these things as a given. And it leaves individuals lost and adrift. That my truth, individualism of our culture, places an enormous burden on individuals to figure everything out by themselves, on their own, without any bedrock, without any foundation, without the anchor of some things that are givens. And this, I think we all know and see, leads to crushing isolation and a massive upturn in serious anxiety, with many people finding they've got nothing to cling to, no solid ground under their feet beyond their own finite, fickle selves. But you know, as Christians, we get to model a different worldview a different way of living and working. Not as those who have no hope. Not as those who just have our own private individual truth. But as those who have put their trust in the unchanging, all-powerful, just, loving, and merciful God. And these truths underpin our work, our vocations, our everyday, ordinary lives as friends, family members, colleagues, and neighbors. There are people all around us, maybe some even here this morning, who are lost and adrift. They're dying of spiritual thirst, even though the life-giving water of God's Spirit is all around them, if they will but turn to him and put their trust in him. The lost sheep in the story had simply wandered off and become separated from the rest of the flock. The lost coin had presumably been dropped by mistake, well, or by carelessness, whatever. It doesn't really matter. And the lost boy in the prodigal son, which you'll have to read later, became lost actually after willful rebellion and the squandering of his father's wealth. But at the end of the day, when you are lost, you're lost. It doesn't matter how you got there. What matters is being found. 
And contrary to popular myths, when we are lost spiritually, we cannot simply find ourselves, nor can anyone or anything save us except Jesus. We all need saving and rescuing. We all need to be found. But please hear, hear me on this. No matter how lost you may feel or you may be today, no matter how lost a loved one of yours may be, no matter how lost anyone is, God values each one so very highly. Indeed, he doesn't treat us as any of us deserve. St. Paul was so very conscious of that in our reading from the epistle today. He had been the one persecuting Christians. He'd personally authorized the stoning of Stephen, and he was bowled over by God's mercy toward him. No wonder he reminds us in verse 15 that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God loves the sinner, the lost, the prodigal. He loves us so much that when we are found and repent and come into his kingdom, there is great rejoicing in heaven. Regardless of how much sin breaks God's heart, and it does, it breaks his heart, he never despises the sinner. Let us be men and women after God's own heart. The parables before us this morning illustrate this incredible value that God places on the lives of all whom he has made. No one is worthless in his sight. No one is written off or ignored. All are made in his image. All are of immense value to God. God's heart is for the lost. He longs for them to be found. He longs for them to repent, to be forgiven, to be restored to come home. If today you are lost, turn to the one who is looking for you, to Jesus, who alone can save. And if you've done that, what about those around you who are lost? Would you ask God to impress upon your heart his care and compassion for the lost? Now, I know that some of you here this morning don't need reminding of this at all. Perhaps you grieve every day for a lost son or a lost daughter, a spouse or parent or other family member, a dear friend. What can we do for those whom we know and love who are lost this morning? You know, sometimes I think the only thing that we can do, and let me say this, it's the most powerful thing that we can do, is pray. And so I find myself challenged afresh this morning in my own commitment to pray for those whom I know and love who are lost. Who are you praying for? This is not a call to generic random prayers. This is a challenge to pray for those whom we love, for our families, our friends, our colleagues, and our neighbors, by name. Some of the people we know who are lost, we may see on a regular basis. As, and as you pray for them, pray also 
for the Holy Spirit to prompt you to take the opportunities that God gives you to demonstrate love and hospitality. Others may be more distant from us, whether physically or emotionally, and we may not have opportunities so readily to show God's love. But in every case, we can pray. We can pray for others to be found, for others to come to know or know again the Lord Jesus and to experience his profound welcome and to come to repentance and forgiveness. I long with all my heart that in the coming days we may have many, many occasions to rejoice along with the angels in heaven as one by one those who are lost are found. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen.